1: All right, we got one down here from, I just love saying this name, Ryan. God, country, Notre Dame, and barbecue. Just love that and
2: one. And their question is, I love Sam Hartman, and I believe he is one of the reasons we are 5-1 right now, but has he regressed as a pure passer since his days at Wake Forest, or is it a scheme, receiver, etc cetera problem?
1: Well, it's the latter to me. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's you watch that game, Ryan. He does not have confidence throwing the outside goal ball to his receivers. He doesn't. You watch, the, so I, you watch y'all, did you do it last night or this morning? Like a little bit last night, finished it this morning. There's guys there that have steps outside in one on ones. Tobias especially had four or five chances. He just doesn't have confidence. And and then the one time he did, Tobias showed why he doesn't have confidence in him right now.
2: Well, I was gonna say is that like it's it's warranted to have a little bit of skepticism right now. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So I'm not banging on him. I mean, his he has not stepped up and made the plays he needs to make. And even on ones where it's like. You know, yeah, I don't blame. Uh, Tobias isn't the reason that that pass against Navy fell incomplete. Sam's got to throw a better ball, but and and then Tobias isn't the reason the one go ball that he threw to Tobias the the first time, the one that fell short, was incomplete. But it's also right. kind of like, but you got to battle more for that ball and draw the penalty out, which is what we talked. I've talked about. Yep. There's no way Tobias goes up for that ball in the end zone catches it and stays in bounds his momentum would have carried him right out of bounds but you could have had a much better shot of making that penalty so obvious looking that you got the 15 yards say there was no way tobias was going to catch that ball against duke there's no way but you could have battled for it and drew that's part of your craft as a receiver ryan the best receivers in the nfl will will do things technically speaking to draw a penalty in certain
2: situations Fight through contact. Yes, yeah, through but
1: contact. you're doing it in a way where it's like I'm I'm doing this so it's going to look even more like I'm getting you know like I'm jumping for the ball and I'm like oh you know and making that guy run through you know, I had no chance to catch that dang ball, but your body language needs to do that and 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 he's not doing that so it's warranted because he's more than willing to throw balls into tight spots to Mitchell Evans right now no problem yes. doing that Because he catch the ball yeah right so I think it's more of a scheme receiver problem than it is Sam Hartman because. I mean, Sam Hartman sailed that that crossing route to Rico. I can find plenty of film of him doing that awake. That just happens sometimes, right? He was just was off. Every quarterback has an off night. And then sometimes quarterbacks just play out of their minds like Jaden Daniels was on Saturday night at LSU. I mean, he just threw some stupidly good passes against Ole Miss. But Sam was off on Saturday, but he still threw some dimes. I mean, he still threw some absolute dimes in that game as well. That third and 10 ball to Mitchell Evans on the last drive was, I mean, perfect Perfect timing, perfect ball. As soon as he hit his yeah. break, boom, ball's coming out, you know?
2: How about after the um, after the muff punt by Chris Tyree, that one catch he had? Dude, that ball that he threw to the middle of the field, that takes some guts, man. Like, yes. that is not an easy throw that he made on that ball. That was a really good throw.
1: The 22-yard completion of Tyree, is that the one you're talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Where he's yeah. like, because he had the backpedal, he's getting hit as he threw, yeah. and he threw it. And, and the safety's like,
1: closing. A- the safety's yeah. closing, and he put that ball yeah. right on Tyree. If he leads Tyree anymore, that safety maybe has a chance to break that thing yeah. up. Oh, I thought. It was and if he misses, if he misses, Ryan, it's a pick. Yes. yes. If he misses, it's a pick. I thought yes. it was going to get picked, because there were like three yeah. bodies
2: there. I'm like, yeah. I don't know about that, but he fit it, man. The, was like, the right, seam was throw he
1: made to, Ohio- to Mitchell Evans against Ohio State, that was a heck of a ball. It was. You know what I'm talking about? It was on the... It was on is his fourth third or fourth quarter. the one that he completed for like 25 yards. Dude, there were three guys around Mitchell Evans yeah, on that. That one. was a great ball. Great ball. You know, yep. so he, he's doing some of that stuff. It's it's a scheme related thing. And they haven't needed him to be the 46 attempt
2: yeah. gunslinger he was at Wake Forest either. I, I think it's I, I've said it multiple weeks. I think it's more the passing game perspective because it's definitely a competence thing. They need to figure out how to make some plays outside the numbers right now. They're just not doing it. They're not. Middle of the field stuff's pretty good. I mean, you just named a few plays where it's just like, that's a middle of the field dime, a rope to the middle of the field. You're just not making those outside throws right now because there's just not a guy that I think you feel confident in making those plays. I mean, with Deion Colsey hurt and with Tobias having his struggles, like you don't really have that outside oriented wide receiver now that can make those plays. Like you just don't really have that guy because – I think the, the big thing is, like, if Jaden Thomas is making that play or even a Jaden Greathouse is going to make that play, they're going to make it more on back shoulder physicality perspective than they are, you know, working outside the numbers, mm-hmm. bat, you know, over the shoulder, that that type of thing. Like, they're just not those type of separators. So I just think that there's just a lack of trust. Like, there's no A.T. Perry for him right now, where it's just like, right. I'm going to put the ball up because A.T. is going to make the catch. Like, I'm just – it's yep. going to happen, you know, there's, and they just won't no, have who, who would that guy be for you right now? There's guys I, I was, was hoping really it was beyond Colsey, but right. with him injured now, like right. you just don't have that guy right now. And, and,
1: and Tobias is not that guy right now. No. Jaden Thomas doesn't get the separation to be that no. guy right now.
2: Yep. So
1: yeah, it's, it's that.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. The month of
1: October is going to be jam-packed with huge games for Notre Dame, and ticket hunting for those games can be stressful, which is why you need to check out game time. Whether you're looking for last-minute tickets to this week's top 25 matchup between the Irish and Louisville, or next week when Notre Dame takes on USC, game time is the go-to place for you. That's where I went and got tickets to the Notre Dame-Clemson game for my mom and dad. GameTime is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Forget planning months in advance. GameTime has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball games, concerts, comedy shows, theaters, and more. The Game Time Guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds. Two taps and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code Irish for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code Irish for $20 off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. That's GameTime.co. We were when we were talking about the meeting that the team had, Sean Paula said this. No Trent Dilfer yelling in that meeting guaranteed. Can we just briefly talk about this for a second? In coaching, you're going to get your butt chewed out from time to time. You are, and you should, and, and you, you should. should. Yeah, that was so beyond what is an appropriate level of you coming at me as a grown man. Yeah, because I get to the point like the my side, job does. Right? Yeah, my yeah. job is not this important for me to allow another grown man to come at me like this. Like it, it, really does come down to that. There, there is, there is. Football is a is an aggressive sport. It's a physical sport. It is a passionate sport, and you deal with butt chewings in games, right? And I promise you. I, I get. I don't even need to know who you coach with to say. but guarantee you, there was there were some headphones shouting matches when you were a football coach between you oh, and sure. and other coaches. Right? It's part of the game. Sure. Yeah. But and and, and sometimes my, I'm getting my butt chewed out because I didn't. My guys didn't do what they needed to do. I didn't get the night. You know, like if Marcus Freeman. Let's just say hypothetically, for example, that Marcus, that Al Washington's, the reason that we didn't have Notre Dame to have eleven guys in the field because he didn't do the right thing, and he's standing there getting his butt chewed out on the sideline, he's going to take that because I screwed up, and and I know this guy, I respect this guy, and he's chewing my butt out, and it would be warranted. And then there's what Trent Dilfer did on Saturday, and that just that was like, is this a five year old throwing a temper tantrum? Like, he, he's I, always
2: rubbed me the wrong way, Trent Dilfer. Like, I don't there was care. Even- there, there was even that clip of him when he was in high school where he was chew- yeah. chewing some kid out on the sideline where it was like he looked like he went to like was trying to punch him in the face. I'm just yes. like, dude, what are you doing? Like You're he was a grown trying to man bait that's the a kid into punching old. him so you
1: could punch him back, you know? It just, <laughs> yeah, it's like, bro. Yeah, I um, like I, I think some of the reactions from people, people trying to make it like a race thing, it's not that he's just an a hole. That's who Trent Dofer is, like you know, like, like he went to my church a couple times when his daughter was in Notre Dame and he'd sit in the back. And as soon as church is over, he'd sprint out like, you know, he doesn't want everybody coming up talking. I'm like, bro, nobody cares. If you'd have brought Ray Lewis with you, we might've wanted to talk to him. You know what I mean? But like (laughs) um, nobody cares, bro. Like you're not, you're not as cool as you, as you, as you think you are. And, and um, you know, so again, it's not about race. It's not about, oh, you can't be soft in this culture. You take your butt chewings. I don't care what era it is. You do not, and he kept going back at the guys, and it was like multiple guys. It's like, hey man, you know, I'm only gonna take you. Know, you, you need to, you need to back the f off right now. You know what I mean? Like, I, it, it, uh, the, a, a smart position coach will just take it during the game, but in the locker room after the game, hey bro, we're at UAB. You don't pay me enough to talk to me like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, so you ever talk to me like that again in public, we're gonna have a problem. You know what I mean? He's
2: always, always rubbed me the wrong way, man. Yeah, yeah he's always. That's not way.
1: old school. That's just you're an a hole, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah. I just I wanted to talk about that because I see these these lines being drawn. Oh, he was wrong, and he's a racist, and oh, you got to be tougher. It's football. No, no, that's not football, right? I yeah. said I had a coach threaten to fire me during a game. I've had a coach threaten to stick a fork in my eye over the, the, you know what I mean? Same coach, actually. Football's an emotional sport and there's certain things you tolerate. And, and I'm all, and I'm still about that. I don't think we should soften how we treat people because modern people are soft. Like, no, toughen up, right? This is the real world. But man, there's just lines that you cross that are true of no matter what generation you're in or what time period or all that other kind of stuff where you're just like, bro, I'm a grown man and you will talk to me like I'm a grown man. I'll take a butt-chewing. That will never happen again if you want to keep all your teeth. That's just what it comes down to for me.
2: He's got such a chip on his shoulder, even though he was a first-round pick. The Bro, out exactly. got lucky to win a Super Bowl. Exactly.
1: You got oh, to God. play on two of the best defenses I've ever seen in your my life. That Tampa Bay Buccaneer defense that he had that went to the NFC Championship game, lost to the Rams, right, 14-7? Yep.
2: That was a phenomenal defense. Actually, I think wasn't Brad Johnson the the quarterback on that team? That may I thought Brad Trent Jones, Dofer, yeah. I thought
1: Sean King was actually. Oh, uh, may have been on that particular team, but he it played on. Been. Brad Johnson was on a Super Bowl team. Yeah, I believe Sean Sean King took over for Trent Dilfer on that team.
2: That could be. That could be. Yep. So yeah, it's just and then like, that Ravens defense was. Dumb. insane um, good they ever didn't they give up like 11 points a game or something like that that year that it, was was like ever, cra- it was something crazy it was something crazy like that dude i think they it had like four straight shutouts that. During, I can't, during that season or something it was nuts
1: yeah it was absolutely crazy uh real quick so it was, was it 1999 was the year the 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 the, the um rams won the super bowl right correct 99 season yeah right yeah Yep. that was the, the the first year. Wasn't that the first, the, the, yeah, the, the 99 Titans, right?
2: season they played in 2000. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So they beat, um, the, uh, Rams beat the bucks in that season. Where's it at? Is that just the AFC? Where's the NFC playoffs at? Give me a second. Uh, St. Louis beat, uh, Tampa Bay 11 to six. I was wrong. Mm-hmm. So, so they scored 49 on Minnesota that year, that was one of the best offenses we ever saw. Scored 526 points. They scored 11 points on Tampa Bay that year. And Tampa Bay won their first round playoff game, 14 to 13. That was Tony Dungy, I believe, was still the head coach on that team.
2: Yeah, I believe. So. Um, yep.
1: And uh, that defense was insane. But I, I, I Trent Dilfer only started 10 games that year, and I believe Sean King was the quarterback in the postseason that season. So I'm actually going to look it up. Between, uh, it was, they were still St. Louis Rams back then, right? They were, yep. I'm actually going to look that up because I want to see, I want to see that I'm correct on this. Yeah. Sean King was the quarterback in that game for the Rams or for the Buccaneers. But mm-hmm. Trent Dilfer started the season for that team at quarterback and only played 10 games. So, um, and I think that was his last year in Baltimore or I mean in Tampa Bay because then the next year he went to Baltimore and, um, won a Super Bowl. In he was in he was in Baltimore one year only started eight games that season only yeah. started half the year that year
2: I think, for Baltimore uh, who's, who's the starter Tony Banks. Tony Banks, Tony Banks the yeah.
1: I'm pretty sure Tony Banks was the starter on the team yeah yeah, yeah. and then I think he got hurt and then so. Trent Dilford rode the coattails of um, mm-hmm. that and they had Shannon Sharp at tight end at Jamal Lewis running back yeah. uh, Jonathan Ogden at left Schoenke tackle was a, a wide yeah. on that team, too. That team yeah. was really good really good
2: and priest holmes as a running back too on that team with was he really yeah 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 Yeah.
1: he had such a weird nfl career because like he like just skyrocketed real fast and then just yeah quickly he
2: started he started started getting injured and then it was done from from there yeah yeah, on kansas city priest holmes was nuts yeah
1: yeah all right we got this this is an interesting question from pk
2: because says, Coach Brian, if you had no deep threat on your team due to lack of ability or injury, how would you devise an offense to get you to 11-1? and one?
1: Well, number one, I'm, I'm going to have to be real creative with how I run the football, number one. And I still think you can generate big plays in the pass game if you scheme it right. You just got to get – tempo is one thing you do, I think, that helps neutralize some of that. Um, I'm a I'm – a, you know, you say, okay, I don't have a lot of speed – But do I have athleticism? I need to know that, you know, because because Duke doesn't have a lot of burners that stretch the field, but they've got a a lot of really good athletes. So you run, you know, more West Coast type stuff or you run more levels. You do things to try to get them in space, you know, where you're scheming them and using their quickness and agility to your advantage. So there's a lot of things you can do without having a great deep threat. Of course, it helps. But I also think that's another time when, when play action throws need to to help you. Because what you can do with the good play action game, Ryan, is, okay, I don't have the speed to get over top of safeties in a pure drop back situation. But here's what I can do. I can run a play action pass, get that safety either freeze or come down. Now I've made it easier for my 4-5-5 five, five receiver to get over top of that guy where he's not going to do that on a pure drop back type of concept, right? And, and so those are different things that you can do that because you you now shorten the distance there by with some of those concepts. I would do things where I, you know, I'd hopefully have my quarterback moving a little bit, you know, some sprint outs to field sprint outs some bootlegs some th- things like that, where you can generate some cheap yards that can then create some some misdirection opportunities. You know, I think of that 2018 Notre Dame Stanford game where, you know, Notre Dame did that play with Ian Book did like a half roll. They did a delay and then brought Alizé Mack backside, and Ian rolls out and buys time and then comes back to Alizé's wide open. Big play. So there's ways you can generate big plays without having – rocket ismail at wide receiver it That's
2: helps yeah. yeah
1: but there's certainly things you can do you just got to be a little bit more creative of it and it's got to some of it's got to be built off misdirection some of it's got to be built off your run game so those are things i would do right what What are some run game,
2: run game of? is the best friend of creating those big plays it's obviously not a perfect comparison because you're not going to run the triple option but why is navy and all these military schools ever such a high yards per catch it's because you roll people to sleep and then you work yeah. off the play action game you hit a waggle whatever it is and you create big plays. You want to make a defense feel like they have to come down harder, and and then you have to be able to hit them with some misdirection. That's how you create big plays. If you don't have that guy that's established, because I mean that there's very, very, there's very root, there's very few teams in college football right now, in my opinion, where it's just like they have a guy that could just run by any corner they go against. Like there's not that many teams that have that guy, but it's the creative teams. It's the Lane Kiffin's of the world to create big plays because, like that that Trey Harris kid they have at wide receiver right now, the kid's not a burner. He's not a burner mm-hmm. at all, but he creates big plays. Why? Because he's a very creative offensive coordinator. He understands how to attack space. That's how he does that.
1: This we we kind of got a question related to this a little bit down here, Ryan. That I'm going to kind of jump to the bottom, and it just came up because it relates to kind of continuing this conversation. And it's from, from Chief Brody, and I'll read it, Ryan, so you can kind of respond to it because it builds on what you just said. Because you're absolutely spot on on this. He says, "I understand their name doesn't have." Uh, we'll continue it, but then also answer why Notre Dame shouldn't do this. But he says, I understand Notre Dame doesn't have Lane Kiffin or any desire to run his offense, but Ole Miss has less four and five star talent out wide than Notre Dame. Is there any answer scheme wise to get these guys open?
2: I I mean, I mean the one, I think the one, the one thing that people don't understand about Lane Kiffin enough is that Lane Kiffin wants to run the football. He wants to run the football at a high volume. Look what he did with Quinshawn Junkins last year. Look what he did with Quinshawn Junkins on Saturday, Ray ran for almost almost 180 yards. I think it was like 177 yep. yards on the grounds. Like, they want to run the football. But what Lane Kiffin does well is Lane Kiffin is kind of the master of understanding where soft spots are defensively mm-hmm. and putting people into chaos. Like, he loves running different variations of crossers, some level stuff. Like he likes making chaos in certain areas where a defensive player has to make a decision, right? And the minute that you're running levels and that corner you see is continuously biting up on the underneath route, then you throw it the corner over top of his head or the deep out or whatever it might be. And that's where the big plays are created with lane. So I think lane more than anyone, well, not more than anyone. He's in like a class of Steve Sarkeesian and like those types of guys where They understand where soft spots are in particular defenses, and they understand that I want to make that player wrong. I want to make sure he is difficult, so I need him to have two different options on this play of what he's going to try to take away. And then you hit where he's not, I yeah. mean, it's, it's pretty basic stuff, man. It's right. not like, it's not rockets. When you watch lane stuff, it's super creative, but it's also not rocket science. He's like, I'm going right. to put that safety into chaos with two different responsibilities. And I'm going to throw to what he decides right. not to cover. I mean, that's it. He,
1: I think a point you hit on there, Ryan too, is he has counters to his stuff too. That's already built in that the minute he sees this or thinks you're about to do this, he'll go to it. Right. You nailed the first part on that. This because, and I and I wanted to bring this up partially because what was our conversation about before the game with Ole Miss? Their offense hasn't been the same this year because they're not running the football effectively. As soon as they got their run game going against LSU on Saturday, you're like LSU has no chance to stop this offense. None.
2: Yeah.
1: Because now they're balanced, and when Lane's offense is balanced, it's so. really hard to stop. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: But he does a great job. Like, and, and everything they do is with a purpose, route running wise. It's with a purpose, whether it's, and sometimes that purpose is I'm running a million miles an hour because I'm clearing you out. I'm trying to, I'm running right at the safety. Like, dude, why'd you run right at the DB? Cause I want to occupy him because we got something else coming. And that's something Sark's great at as well, where there's four guys running routes to get one guy open. And I don't feel like Notre Dame does enough of that. You don't do that the whole game, Ryan, but there needs to be times where based on what, like there was a couple times where Duke was playing a certain way but like, boy, if they would just do this and this, they might be able to get a guy c- clear on this type of thing. And I'd like to see a little bit of that. Now the reason Notre Dame doesn't run that offense is because that type of offense makes it really hard to have an elite defense. And, and that's who Marcus Freeman wants to be. And, and I'm okay with that. But when you're scoring that quickly and you're, and you're that, dynamic offensively it is a little bit more challenging to have an elite defense um because they also they they don't they're not I wouldn't call Ole Miss a tempo team but they have some pace to what they do is that fair right um so you know that kind of makes a little bit challenging and but it's it's here's the thing guys it's not so much about you've got to run that offense there are principles that work that we just laid out that you can you can you can like watch your Ole miss game and say hey we can't really run that play because of it doesn't fit with this but there are some things that we understand what they're trying to do philosophically that we can apply within the framework of what we do
2: mm-hmm.
1: that can work and when coaches get together the offseason, that's what they're doing you know if i if, I'm, if I was an offensive coach and I went and sat down with Lane Kiffin I'd say I, you know, look we don't do what you do we, we we do things a little differently but man I really like how you do these things where you're getting these guys open. Talk to me about it. Where's it coming from? What's your philosophy? Why are you calling that stuff? What are your counters to it? Here's what we're doing. How do you think we can maybe implement some of the stuff into what we do? And then you listen to that guy, and he may say, "Well, look, if I if I did this for you, this is kind of how I would. You know, I'd maybe use a tight end there. I may do this, or I may do this." And then you can say, "Because because like it's not so simple as like you see this play on this team did it. You write it down and say we're going to implement this play this week." Well, right. that doesn't really fit who you are. It, teams are going to be like, wait a minute. Why are you lining up in that? We never see that. We're going to figure out pretty quick what you're trying to do. You've got to fit it into who you are. And that can be a little bit, uh,
2: Lane, little bit Lane's challenging. Done a great, Lane's done a great job of that, too. I mean, there's some years where he has uh, Kenny Yaboa at tight ends, who was, like, not incredibly talented, but, like, he understood how to scheme that kid open all the time. Yep. You had Jonathan Mingo last year, who was, like, a big body, physical kid. But, like, I wouldn't call him overly explosive. He averaged like twenty yards a catch last year. Yeah. And there are some years where you have the the Jerian Eadie kid at running back, who's a little bit of a shifty, smaller back. And then now you have Quinshon Junkins, who's 210, 215 two hundred fifteen pound back. Like, I think great offensive coordinators more than anything understand how to utilize different skill sets mm-hmm. and understand how to mold it into your philosophy yeah. that's my biggest thing like i think the guys it's like that guy doesn't fit that system make him fit what do you mean he doesn't fit right. if he didn't fit that's your that's a you problem you're the coach you're supposed to make talents work and if you can't that means you're probably not a very creative mind
1: very true i want to address this as well ryan
2: Adam Joseph says, is it possible for Jordan Botello to appeal the targeting call? Because I can't wrap my head around the targeting rule. He hit his leg. Make it make sense.
1: So two things. Number one, yes, you can always appeal a suspension for the next game. You can always appeal that. And there have been times when they have overturned the suspension. They'll go back and look at the play. Number one. And if I was Notre Dame, I would assume I would assume Notre Dame is going to appeal. Even if you think it's targeting, you still appeal it because you never know. Yeah. You know, you don't get penalized for appealing it. Number, number two, I, I think a mistake that people are making with this call is there's people that think targeting is only meant to protect the hit the hit E. And as we talked about post-game post, post game show, Ryan, the targeting is meant to protect the hit E and the hit-er. The the targeting rule is meant to protect both. And the part that has to deal with protecting the hit-er is they don't ever want you to lead with the crown of your helmet, ever. Whether It's not just about you can't lead with the crown of your helmet to hit a guy in the head. It's you can't lead with the – I saw this happen in the NC State-Louisville game, right? Is That's what that kid got kicked out for. That linebacker got kicked out for NC State because he hit the guy in the chest, but he put his head down and launched. No, it was the Oregon State game. It was the Oregon State-Utah game. That's what it was. It was that line – I knew it was a Friday night game. But the linebacker uh, was number two or number three, but he put his head down and just drove it right into the chest of the quarterback. And But he led with the t- – you can't do that. They don't want you to do that. Period. I don't care if they hit the shin, the hip. And if anything, Ryan, it's more dangerous to put the crown of your helmet into someone's hip. It's one of the hardest parts of a guy's body, you know? Uh, and so um, that's what that rule is. It, it doesn't have anything to do with he led with the crown of his helmet. That's what he got kicked out for, not where he hit the guy. That That doesn't matter. That's-
2: it, it doesn't have to be helmet-to-helmet helmet contact right. is the easiest way to say, right? right? Like, you just don't – the defender cannot drop his head and create contact. Well, a runner can't do it either. Well, he's not supposed to anyway. Like, you can't drop mm-hmm. your head. And have you ever contact. seen that called? Never. But he's not supposed to. He's not supposed right. to technically. But, yeah. I have think I've seen it called maybe, like, once or twice, but, like, not nearly as much as it should be called now you're you're putting defenders in bad positions too cuz it's like so what am i supposed to do when that guy drops his head at me am i not exactly. supposed to drop my head back exactly <laughs> like
1: i watched about 5 minutes of the broncos game on saturday and they called a helmet yeah. to helmet hit on the bears guy and i'm like the guy was going at the running back and then the running back or the receiver went down and that's yeah. what created the head to head
2: contact well, that's, like that's, that's the that thing i hate the most. I, I hate those plays the most cuz it's like as a defensive player, it's so hard to adjust on the fly when a exactly. player drop drop changes his level. It's just like it's very difficult. So yep. yeah. John A one, what's up, John? Notre Dame has used various run blocking concepts. Should they continue to expand or work towards a bread and butter?
1: Well, I think they do have a bread and butter, John. If you look at the numbers that I put up on the message board, there's really two concepts that really dominate all the different stuff they do inside zone and, and gap scheme in the gap scheme they get to with their power stuff and then also with the counter stuff we haven't seen a ton of counter it's been almost all different ways of running power uh, and and the only difference for counter is counter can tend to hit a gap wider and it's more delayed backfield action which I think a good counter is actually a good complement to power because if if I'm seeing the same blocking scheme Ryan, and you're a linebacker and I see the same blocking scheme and I'm getting downhill, that's going to look one way. But if I'm showing you like a misdirection from the backside and I'm, I'm coming at it from the backside, I can now hit it to where it'll be a little easier for me to bounce than it would be on just yeah. a straight pure power. Um, you know? And so, and it's going to be, it's going to mess with the linebackers eyes a little bit. So I, I would like to see some of that, but it, it, it's not a, a lot of variety from a scheme standpoint, John, it really isn't. It it's, it's basically two families of run blocking and then they have a wrinkle of the buck sweep toss stuff so it's really three and that's a sister of the gap scheme it's you know it's it's not the same but it's 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 in the family it's not a zone type of concept so i don't think they're running a lot of stuff to where you have to wear like is there too much in their arsenal like are they, no that's not it it was more so Actually, I would say against Duke, they didn't go more to their bread and butter, which so far this season has been the inside zone that's been their best run this year. It's the most efficient run. it's 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 been their 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 bread and butter. It looks like they're running a lot of different stuff because they run it so many different ways. You know, they're running power traditional with the front side kick out and the backside wrap. They're running power with a backside kick and a backside wrap that looks like counter, but it's actually power. You know they're doing a lot of different things. They did power lead last week, which was in a different look where instead of kicking out the end, they just block out the end with the tight end and then have you know the the or, or block out the end with the backside, I should say, and then they the the wrap is actually a front side lead. As I mean, it's power. You're just getting to it a little different way, and so. Uh, but all of that stuff for the offensive line doesn't change a lot, and that's who you got to be worried about putting too much on i would say so i i don't i don't think that's an issue i just think i just think they the execution tends to be uh but like the stuff they were having problems with against duke that's stuff they've been running effectively since the nc state game right. so it wasn't like they put something new at them i just don't think they should have been running against that look and i think the fact that you were asking rico flores to be your 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 counter your power heavy guy because power heavy is what, what i call it that it's it's just you're getting an extra hat to the play side that's it that makes sense with Jaden Thomas. It made no sense to do that with Rico Flores, Ryan. None. That's just like you said earlier. You're just running a play because you've run in the past. Like it. Yep. But the guy that you ran that with that can do that is not there anymore. Rico, I mean, it was hilarious watching it. Rico would literally just sprint through the hole and just keep running. <laughs> he wasn't looking for anybody to block. And then it you know messed up the timing and all that. And I think the last time they ran it, he runs into the back and it just – it's like, guys, this is on you. This isn't on Rico. This is on you. You shouldn't be running this play right
2: now. Uh, Rico gave so much great effort on Saturday man. I'd night. I love he, I did. To Rico he
1: did. He did. But like- he's not running. He shouldn't be running that play, right? Oh, no. I don't care no. about his effort. He's like, it's just, it. Just, it you know what you should have done? Run that and have Cooper Flanagan do it out of 13 personnel. If you're dead set on running that play, you know, sure. it just, it doesn't make sense.
2: We had a super chat for Raymond Harton. Raymond, thank you so much. I just got here and going to start at the beginning, but wanted to say tough win, but we got through it. Need more from our line moving forward. Go Irish.
0: We had
1: plenty to say about that, man. Plenty thank to say man. about that. Ryan, I'm going to read this next one because this is a recruiting question. This is from Todd from, uh Thank you, Todd, for the super chat. Assuming Notre Dame gets Taylor Taylor of the three, Michael, Michael, Marcus <laughs> Freeman recruiting classes, who will be the best quarterback wide receiver duo? I think he's meaning like one quarterback yeah. and one receiver in a class. So it would be what? Kenny Minchie and Jaden
2: Greathouse pick one. Or, yeah. yeah. Jaden
1: Greathouse for the floor, Braylon James, ceiling, whichever. I mean it's a lose, it's a win-win. It'd be CJ Carr and Cam Williams and then Deuce Knight, Taylor yeah. Taylor. What are your thoughts on that one?
2: I mean, as of right now, it's it's Cam Williams and CJ Carr for me. I mean yeah. that's where we are right now because and I mean, because this question will change a lot more. I think the more fascinating question would be when if Taylor and Taylor commits to Notre Dame is as seniors, when they're about to sign their letter of intent to Notre Dame, Deuce Knight and Taylor and Taylor, then who's the best, right? Because we've right. seen senior version of Kenny Minchie. We've seen senior version of Jane Greathouse. We've now seen senior, senior version of CJ Carr. We've now seen senior version of Cam Williams. We have obviously not seen... Senior version of Deuce Knight, and we haven't seen it of Taylor Taylor. Obviously, yeah,
1: we've, we've barely seen junior version of Deuce Knight yes. so far yes. this season.
2: Yeah, I know, barely. Seriously, only a couple <laughs> games. Um, nice to see him back though, finally. Mm-hmm. But I mean, with hindsight, with what it is right now, Caleb, it's Cam Williams. I'm gonna say Caleb Williams, it's Cam Williams and CJ Carr for me. I mean, I think CJ is a legitimate, you know, borderline four star quarterback, and I think Cam Williams is a bona fide well, five
1: star, five star, five star. Yeah, four. sorry.
2: I was like, yeah, oh, high four-star on. bordering on five-star <laughs> quarterback
1: yes I was like, hold on yeah. a second we need to have a talk about your cast <laughs> yes. cj Carr evaluation he's a borderline yeah. four-star yeah. CJ is okay.
2: yeah. a very good quarterback i think he's yeah. probably top 30 qu- player overall player yeah. in the 2024 class cam williams is a bona fide five-star i think that kid is a top 15 top 20 type of player in the class like, i think he's that good so with that in mind that trumps just slightly like I I had Kenny Minch also as a top hundred player. I really liked Kenny Minch a lot. I also had Jane Ray as a top 75 player. So I like both of those players a ton, but obviously when I'm talking about a top 30 quarterback and a top 20 type of player in Cam Williams, that's going to trump that evaluation as of right now. I mean, I think that I think CJ is a very, very good quarterback prospect. And I think that Cam Williams is a special wide receiver prospect. Like that's just where we are right now, but I would love to see it if, Deuce Knight is developed over the next year. See yeah. what he looks like as a senior. And if Taylor and Taylor continues to progress the way that he has, then I think this could be a conversation, a legitimate conversation. But as of right now, I would take Cam Williams and CJ Carr.
1: I'll say this, Ryan. I'll be surprised if the Deuce Knight, Taylor and Taylor combo is better than CJ Carr and Cam Williams as high school seniors. Yeah, The even better discussion is who's going to be the best duo in college. Because with Deuce, you're banking that this guy's going to become a star at the next level. He's going to be raw this year. He's not going to go from what he is right now, super raw, to looking like Trevor Lawrence next year as a senior, where he's completing 75% of his passes, and he's just a – he's going to need some time, which is what makes him – we've talked about this a bunch, Ryan – which what makes him the perfect quarterback to get the year after C.J. Because C.J. is the polar opposite. C.J. is not a five-star player because he's got – elite, top 10 NFL draft pick, physical tools. He's a to me, a five-star quarterback because he has good physical tools with elite up here. That's what makes CJ so good, in my opinion. Uh Deuce is sort of the polar opposite. Not that Deuce isn't smart and all that, but Deuce is still just a ball, a raw ball of clay with tremendous tools. And I've heard great things about his work ethic. I've heard great things about his mind for the game and all that's good, but he's just not nearly as polished. And I think it's like, t- and, and the thing too, so that's where it comes down to. I think Taylor Taylor's a five-star and Cam Williams is going to be a five-star when, when I, when I do my new grades, they're kind of, they kind of wash each other out. They're different players. Cam's bigger, long vertical. I think Taylor Taylor's kind of like a Garrett Wilson type. They're going to kind of even themselves out. What it comes down to is which quarterback is going to be better as a senior. And and Deuce may rank higher because he's got the elite tools, but CJ will be better than a high school quarterback. I'm really curious to see who ends up being the better college boy, the college duo. But here's the best part about it, Ryan. There's going to be a time at Notre Dame when Jane Greathouse, Braylon James, Rico Flores, Cam Williams, Micah Gilbert, Logan Saldate, and hopefully Taylor Taylor, are all on the same team together. Yep. And it's not a dude. And yep. that's what I'm looking forward to. I don't care who the quarterback is, whether it's Kenny Minchie, CJ Carr or Deuce Knight, or potentially all three of them at some point in time. Hopefully. That's going to be fun, buddy. Yep. That's going to be fun. I can't wait for that.
2: We had another super chat from Tyler Evans. Let a lot of great super chats today. Thank you all so much. Any head coaches you believe are on the hot seat right now? Um, oh
1: there's definitely some. I mean, there's some guys that have kind of been in on it all year and that's not gonna change. I mean, look, I think Tony Elliott's gotta be on the hot seat right now because they are awful.
2: Tony Elliott stinks, man. They
1: are awful. I, I, I'm just I I'm mean, just curious
2: if Virginia cares that much though. Like, do they care that much? I, I don't um, I don't know.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's probably Bro-
2: a- Brocco stepped down, right? Even though he was training in the yeah. wrong direction, like he did he wasn't yeah. like forced out, I don't think. From what I understand, just he just gone. was
1: kind of burned out from he was what done, i understand yeah he was, yeah. He was a really wanted good go coach too but he on just, his ranch and just I'm take out. some time away yeah 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 because i didn't i didn't realize honestly how old bronco was to be honest with you
2: is he in his 60s
1: like, yeah like he he he's he, he he's 57 I like 57. i really thought he was older than that i'm, I'm talking about like other way mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i thought he was going to be like 65 because i'm like he's burned out i'm like oh is he a little older than you know what i mean but no he's only he was only 56 when he stepped down, 55 when he stepped down hmm. but he's a hard i mean he's a guy and this is what people would talk about he is a guy that when i'm coaching i just i got nothing else i can focus on i'm just i put everything into it and there's some guys like that and it's hard for them to i mean they just they can burn out a little quicker you know yeah but um But yeah, Tony. I mean, they're terrible. I would say I would not say Pat Narduzzi is on the hot seat, but man, they keep playing this bad, then he will be next year. That's that's for sure. Um, I don't I don't think there's anybody in the Big Twelve that's on the hot seat. Dave Aranda got off of it this past week with a win over.
2: Got got lucky this past week. (laughs) Yeah,
1: they needed that win bad, really, really bad. Um, You know, and then you know, Big Ten. You know, to me. PJ Fleck to me man like bro you you, you got some he's games coming up seat, I don't huh? think no he he, he let me finish okay. we got some games coming up they got Michigan this weekend they got to play at Iowa they got to play at Ohio State at Purdue home against Wisconsin if he doesn't figure something out quickly he's going to go into next season with the biggest question marks that has been there his entire career because you've got two things happening at the at the same time, Ryan. You've got the lack of success on the field coupled with the stuff that's coming out off the field, and that's the you know the the, the articles being written about you know the pl- former players not liking them. It's like you just you don't want that that double edged sword of coming out. You say, hey, look, you don't like me, but look, we're winning. You know those guys just don't like being they don't like being challenged or whatever. When you're losing and that stuff comes out, it's a problem. So he needs to finish the season strong if he's gonna if he's gonna not be on the hot seat pack 12 i mean all the guys struggling in the pack 12 are, are new guys yeah. so i i don't i don't see anybody in the pack 12 that's i don't think so it's an issue and then again all the guys well most of the guys struggling in the sec are relatively new guys right the mississippi state guy i mean i don't think sam Pittman's on the hot seat but this season could get away from them in a hurry and as you know in the sec ryan um it takes one bad year no matter what you've done could get you fired and yeah. I'm, I'm hearing people talking about like Billy Napier's on the hot seat I'm like they're three and two they just beat Tennessee like this is why just, this is why, just why like I don't understand older... why people take some of these jobs man
2: yeah well it's the like, of standards are just so unrealistic sometimes but... very
1: much I think that's a great way to put it like Dan Mullen wins double digit games two years in a row year three they play in the SEC championship game almost like they didn't almost beat Bama but they gave Bama the best game Bama had all year. I mean, Bama was the better team, but like that was a back and forth game, the whole game in the middle of the next year, he's fired. It just, why would anyone want to take that job? You know, so that that's one, but honestly, some of the hot seat coaches are already gone. You know, Mel Tucker was on the hot seat coming into the season. He's gone. Uh, Pat Fitzgerald. I always said should have been on the hot seat. He's gone. Um, My question is, 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 if Iowa doesn't figure something out, I don't know that Kirk Ferentz will ever be on the hot seat. But you just because get to the point in time where it's like, out. dude, you, you got to do something, man, because you can't keep having your kid be this. Like, that's kind of what turned some people off of Bill Snyder at the end. It's like you're, you're, you're trying to set this thing up to where your kid can take over for you and he's not you. Right. You know, and um, that's an interesting one. But. Virginia. Oh, oh, here's one, Ryan, that we forgot to talk about Jeff Halfley at Boston College. Oh, yeah,
2: he should be out yeah. right now.
1: He's, he's definitely good. on a hot seat. He's Definitely on good. a hot seat. There's no doubt about it. But um, yeah, he's I, one.
2: It's I wouldn't say it's the hot seat, but I wouldn't be shocked if Mike if um I said Mike sure. If um Mike Gundy would just like, step down at some point because like they are trending yeah. in, yeah. in a terrible he direction.
1: and he doesn't seem to like the new college football very much.
2: Yeah. Like, they're, lo- they're and, losing players every year to the transfer portal. And it's just, yeah, yeah it's not, it's not pretty. Yeah. Not at Oklahoma State. Right now.
1: Yeah. I, I I could see him being one of those guys. I could see him doing kind of the, going the Jay Wright move, which is like, I just don't want to coach in this game anymore. I got, this yeah. isn't what I signed up for. You know what right. I mean? So.
2: Maybe yeah, could Cal, if they're like, we want new blood going into the sure. ACC. Like, I don't know. Sure.
1: And that's another one you have to ask yourself, like, do they care enough? You know what I mean? But right now, I'll tell you what, man. I think Justin Wilcox does a nice job. I just don't think he gets any support. Like I think he does a nice job for Cal. They're three and two. They're just beat Arizona State. They should have beat Auburn. If they had a place kicker, they'd have beat Auburn. You know, um, I thought they outplayed Auburn for a chunk of that game. You know, it, it, they need they you know what they gotta do, Ryan. They've got to win, they gotta pull off an upset or two. Right. So they're three and two right now. They play at Stanford. They can definitely win that game. But after that, it's like you got Oregon State at home, at Utah, home against <laughs> USC, at Oregon, home against Washington State, at UCLA. You're going to have to crazy. pull off an upset or two yeah. and and get to a bowl game. Yeah. Because like you said, that could be – if you don't make a bowl game, that could be the – if there's a group of people that want to make a, a splashy change to go into the new conference, you've given them the ammunition to do that if you don't make a bowl game. Right. And so I think that would, that's where he's going to have to finish strong, but I, I don't, I think the guy's done a nice job. I do. It's a good football coach. It's not a great one, but a good football
2: coach. All right. We had another super chat from Derek. Junkart. who says, I want, I want to see two back sets. Audrey guest and Jeremiah I love. You can run inside, outside play action RPO encounters off of one formation with minimal subbing. A- agree. We need to see it as well. I want to see right. the, as well. yep.
1: the okay. thing that that i think we have to come to grips with though as fans is you can't do that the, i don't think you can do that for an entire game there are some limitations to that and so it's not a thing where they need to run 30 snaps a game or 40 snaps a game out of 21 personnel but for
2: at like least not series, against the good teams that would be a lot of fun
1: right yeah and you've yeah. got to have some wrinkles for it and some counters but yeah i mean i, I wouldn't mind seeing 15 20 snaps a game and that's for me that's high and the reason I I would like to see it is because I think you have two players at running back, really three, that bring a unique skill set that would make it work. Number one is Devin Ford as a blocker has turned out to. I mean, that's a big thing too. Like Ryan, in most twenty one looks where you have two tailbacks, you don't really have a blocker, you know. And and I don't know that you're going to want to have Audric Estime doing a lot of lead blocking, even though he can. He takes enough of a pounding. Do you really want to have him, you know, doing that? I I, I don't know. But Devin comes in and did really well in that regard against Ohio State. And then with Jadarian Price and Jeremiah Love, what they can do out of the backfield with their catching ability in different areas. Yeah. I think that's another part of it. Yeah, you talk about Estimane Love, and we need to see Estimane Love. But I also want to see some 21 and 20 personnel with Price and Love together that I think can do some interesting things as well. So, yeah, I, I normally I'm like a you know a wrinkle here and there. This is the team that I thought could do the most, also because of the issues that they're having a receiver. Where I we could see a little bit more, but it just can't be your it can't be your do, your dominant your dominant uh, personnel grouping in my I, opinion. I
2: also think that Love could do a lot of the the power inside power stuff as well because that kid runs hard, man. Yes, he does he very hard. He brings yep. a lot of tackles. So yep, I'm there for Jeremiah Love. Love, he guns. What's up, Tommy? Man, how ironic would it be if two teams got into the playoff from the pack just before it goes away? I know it wouldn't be good for Notre Dame, so I hope it doesn't happen.
1: Well, it it, it just makes it even sadder, to be honest with you, that the 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 year where the Pac-12 is about to have their best year in a long time, yeah. a very long time, and people talk about what well, they're going to be in the Big Ten next year, they're going to be in the ACC next year, they're going to be in the Big Twelve next year, and it's not even like. Like, my first thought when I was watching the Utah-Florida game, what a big win for the Big 12. I was like, hold on a second. They're not in the Big 12 yet. Like, that was my thought process. And it's kind of sad. And it's also sad watching how good Washington State and Oregon State are right now, saying they're going to basically get, you know, uh, what's the word? Um, what's the soccer term for, what do they call it? Where you oh, – a relegation.
2: Relegated, yeah. Like,
1: they're, they're, they're going to get relegated to the Mountain West, and they shouldn't be. Like, normally re- in, in relegation, if I understand it correctly, in soccer is if you don't perform well enough – you kind of get booted from the top group. And well and these then, are two teams they
2: play in like the lesser league, but then if they play well then they can right. back up like that type of thing. Yeah. But
1: these two teams are doing exactly what you want a big time, you know, power five team to be. They're very good football teams. They're well coached. They've got talent and they're being relegated for things that have nothing to do with what happens on the football field.
0: Yep.
1: And that's the sad about the part about this whole thing. Like if if Vanderbilt was getting relegated because they stink all the time or if Georgia Tech was getting relegated because they stink or or, you know, some of these teams like Kansas back in the day before Lance Leopold got there. I could understand that.
2: Right.
1: But this has nothing to do with football. And that's the part that bothers me bothers me the most. But um I don't want that to happen because most likely if there's two teams from the Pac twelve that make it, they're gonna be two teams going to the Big Twelve Big Ten. And I don't want the Big Ten. The Big Ten already has a an, an unnecessarily high opinion of itself when in reality it's three really good teams and a bunch of crap. This season, I'm sorry, it just is, and like this is not a vintage Wisconsin team. This Iowa team has such a bad offense. This is three really good teams and a bunch of nothing. Now, there's some teams that are coming along and and all that, whatever. It's a it's a bad, it's a top heavy, mostly bad league. And the Big Ten's top three teams can play with anybody else's top three teams, but the Big Ten's four through seven will get beat by almost everybody else's four through seven. And, um, you know, that's that's what just kind of is disappointing about the whole thing, in yeah. my opinion, because the Big Ten just oh, I'm so sick of the Big Ten. All right. Here's one from uh, Salty.
2: Salty says, which do you think will ultimately be more impactful for this team's development this season? The last play, the last play lost to Ohio State or the last minute win against Duke and why?
1: Well, uh, Duke, because it followed. Right? Like, yeah. if you reverse the two games, Ryan, then all the good you know vibes and and the lessons learned from the Duke comeback are gone because a week later you choked the game away in the fourth quarter, basically, right Negated, yeah yeah, right. and so it's gone. It, it, you know yep. the, all that all that good you know mojo, so to speak, is gone. The yep. fact that Notre Dame did the polar opposite of what cost them a game the week before. To me, is a great mental boost for a football team. Now, there's technical stuff that got to get, get pointed out, but the timing of when it happened to me is why the Duke game will carry the most weight for this team moving forward. Now, this is referring to how it's going to impact the nerding football team and yep. the development, as you said. I'm not talking about the resume because the resume is it's better to have a win over Ohio. I've always said this. It's better to have a great win and a not great loss than to have a great loss and a okay win from a Playoff resume standpoint, in my opinion, but development of this team, the the timing in which these games happened, Duke is the answer for me easily.
2: Well, I think after the Ohio State game, I I think a lot of players probably felt dejected because they lost the game. But there's also that that part of you that's like, but you know, I played pretty well though. Like we played okay. Like there was a lot of good in that Ohio State game. The Duke game, there was not a lot of good play. There wasn't. Like it was an ugly, ugly victory. So I think for me, it's like if I'm a if I'm truthful with myself as a player, I leave the Duke film session. I mean the Ohio State film session saying, you know, we lost, but like I did okay. Like we did okay. We were an okay football team that day. Watching Duke, I'm just like, man, we, we weren't good at all. Like we sucked, yeah. <laughs> like we kind of sucked. We were not a great team that day. And I think that, that a lot more growth can come out of that one. Is like I can be a whole lot better than that. Like that was. Oh, bad. I get what you're saying. Lot
1: I get what you're saying, Ryan. You're not. You're saying yeah. like from a development standpoint, is you can look and hey, we won that game, guys. So there's a lot we can get better at. I get what you're saying. saying yeah. Like, like I thought personally,
2: you were, perspective. Like I did not. We did not play well against Duke at all. Yeah. And, and barely squeaked out a victory. Yeah. Ohio State. We played pretty well for the most part, but just didn't yeah. get the win in the end. You know what I mean? I thought you so, were
1: making the opposite point. I thought you were going to say, we played pretty well. I feel pretty good about myself. And I don't
2: feel good about myself. Oh, no. no, I get what you're no, saying. No. You're saying the opposite, which
1: that's why I was like. From uh, a personal
2: growth team perspective, yeah. we did not play yes. well. We can a lot yes. better
1: than that. But we showed heart. We showed character. And we sure. learned how to win things that Nurem had not done. So, yeah, that I'm going with Duke. And, and, again, I do think the timing of it matters. I think if you flip the times those games are played, we're having a much different conversation right now about the rest of the season. I'm not saying it would have been justified or not, but that would have been the vibe coming out
2: all right we had a super chat from sammy torres and barbara Ochner. thank you so much who are your top three most underrated college coaches right now i'm assuming um yeah top three. Uh, i mean i i think for me i don't know would you say kyle winningham's under un, underrated a little bit
0: like always. I don't, yeah. always
1: yeah i think the football diehards like you and i respect yeah. the heck out of them I I think most just normal casual fans don't have a clue about how good Kyle Whittingham is
2: Kyle, Kyle Whittingham, Troy Calhoun from air force. And then number three would be honestly, I think that I think Kirk Ferentz is becoming to get a little underrated just because his son is a complete failure as an offensive coordinator and he won't get rid of him. You know what I mean? So, I mean, but if you look back at it at the end, we're going to remember Kirk Ferentz for like the failures of like the offensive coordinator stuff. But like, entirety he was a really good coach and that's Iowa, the disappointing
1: man. thing ryan that's the really disappointing thing and i'll say this you know who else is being very underrated right now and this is going to sound right. a little crazy i don't know if i put him in my top three i'm still thinking through this of who my top three would be um well I, i'll say i'll say i'll say this a couple guys that pop in my head as far as top three i think mark stoops is a very underrated football coach for what he's done at kentucky Very. Mm-hmm. he doesn't get a lot of love about like everybody's mike elko is going to be the next big time uh you know new hire and i'm like and he and he's deserved it he's earned it but we never hear his. We never hear Mark Stoops' name when yeah. you talk about like guys doing a great job. He's got multiple ten-win seasons at Kentucky, and they're five and zero and just curb stomped Florida. You know what yep. I mean? Like he's a very underrated coach in my opinion, and doesn't necessarily do it with like gimmicky stuff and and all those other type of things. But here's a guy to me that I think is very underrated right now. That's Kalen DeBoer, because when people talk about Washington, all the conversation is about the players. And that's partly because Kalen DeBoer, I think, kind of likes it that way. You know, like put all the praise on my guys. He's not like a demonstrative, you know, out there bringing attention to himself like Dan Lanning's and guys like that. He's just look, give all the praise to my guys. My guys are doing a great job. But like, we don't ever like I don't anyway hardly ever hear anyone talk about what a freaking genius Kalen DeBoer is offensively. We always talk about oh wow how good Michael Penix is and how good Roman. If he's not the head football coach, most people have no clue who Michael Penix is or who Roma Dunze are or who Jalen McMillan are. Because here's the thing, Roma Dunze was a good football player before Kalen DeBoer showed up. He has just become a a tremendous football player now that he's there. You know, I mean, Roma Dunze caught 41 passes as a true freshman in 2021. Jalen McMillan caught 39 passes for 470 yards as a freshman. You know what I mean? Well, Roman Dunes was a redshirt freshman, I should say, that season in 2021. But, you know, Jalen, they both were because of the COVID year the year before, but they were good football players. They've become a star group now because of Kalen DeBoer. I think he's a heck of a football coach. Like, yeah, heck of a football coach. And, um, yeah, I think he's doing a very, very good job. Very, very good job. And doesn't get the love that a guy doing that well. And here's the other thing, too, Ryan the, the, the storyline about, about Mike Elko is he inherited a terrible team and he turned it around really quickly. And, and my answer is, well, I wouldn't say that, that Kalen DeBoer inherited a team with that lacked talent because I think Washington had some decent talent because Jimmy Lake could recruit. He just couldn't coach his way out of a paper bag, but he inherited a program with a lot of problems culture wise and just, You know, he didn't, he inherited a team that went four and eight the year before and quickly turned him around. I mean, the guy is 16 and two in his two years so far, and the two losses were by eight points or less. He's doing a great job. Great job, in my opinion. Here's a good one, Ryan. Anthony, uh, Anthony Proger, Jeff Tedford has always been underrated. I would agree with that. He's doing a nice job at Fresno, and he was a good coach at Cal. He's a good coach at Cal. All right, let's get back to some of these questions up here. Here's a good one. Here's a good one, Ryan. Um, this is this is an interesting one. Let me read this one because I want to get your thoughts on it because I kind of talked a little bit about it last night. With Jordan Patel out for the first half, is it a concern or could it be what the doctor ordered? Because this could be taken a couple different ways.
2: I mean, John, it's – I still do believe in Jordan Patel's talent. So, I mean, I don't think of it as a positive from that perspective. But I think that the – Blessing in this—I don't want to say—blessing say in disguise. The the thing that you can get out of it is that guys like Joshua Burnham are now going to have to play a lot more. J- uh, Junior to mock are going to have to play more, so I think that you are creating depth in that regard. Right, you're getting guys meaningful playing time, and ultimately. Maybe it doesn't have to be a one-person show at Viper moving forward if they play well. Maybe it could be Jordan Batello, Joshua Burnham, and Junior Tlamaca are all really good football players, and you rotate them well, and you get more production out of the Viper position than what you're currently getting. So I don't want this to be just like a, a dismissal of Jordan Batello. Like, yeah, man, if Joshua Burnham steps up, he's the guy. Like, that's it. No, you need all those guys to be guys. Right. And I think that's the part that you could get out of this weekend. I think. Hopefully.
1: I think it's just what the doctor ordered in two regards. Number one, you're forced to play the younger players that so far you've been hesitant to give a lot of playing time. If they play well, you're going to have a lot more confidence in playing them more down the road, which is exactly what I've been saying. It's not that I don't think Riley Mills and Howard Cross have been great this year. They have been. I still want to take 10 snaps off of their game every week and and give them to Jason Onye and Gabriel Rubio and those guys to make sure that they're fresh. as the season wears on same thing with jordan patel i want jordan patel having 10 to 15 less snaps on his legs in the fourth quarter on that game you know that potential game-winning drive because i want him fresh and making that play off the edge so i do think that it could be good in that regard if they play well the other thing is is my hope is that this is the kind of thing that maybe kickstarts jordan a little bit you know as far as how he's playing in the past game is like hey man Like this thing can be taken away from you like that, whether it's a penalty whether it's like an ejection suspension, whether it's an injury, whatever, like, man, we need you. And then being out there where he's not out there, sometimes Ryan, that can be a thing when you see when guys miss games with injury or whatever, it's like, man, like, I hate not being out there. When I get back out there, man, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, Oh, oh, wait, you know what I mean? Like, I'm going to just go crazy. And if that can be the thing that sparks him, that's great. And then if it sparks him and you're now confident to, to give Josh and joy and uh, junior, you know, 10, 15 more snaps a game as a combination. And now Jordan's even fresh. That's the ideal. If if this goes perfectly for me, it's that. Sure. And I don't know if that happens, if he's not suspended, like if he's not suspended, they're not just going to all of a sudden up and play those younger guys more. There's not going to do Probably it. Enough.
2: No, probably
1: not. And so that's why I like it. But Jordan has still got to be the guy there as long as he handles this properly. Because, again, those guys can give you more pass rush. Josh Burnham can give you more of a pass rush than Jordan Patello based on how they've played so far this season. But what I want is for this to be the spark that gets Jordan Patel back to rushing the quarterback like he did last year. Because if this defense gets that for the last six games, five and a half games, Ryan, since he's going to miss the first half, this defense has been pretty good. Takes a jump, yep. And at a time when they're going to need it, with that kid from uh, L.A. coming to town in a week and a, you know a couple weeks, so yeah, you're going to need yep. Jordan Patel to be a dude that game, guys. Yep. I don't care what Josh Burnham and Jay Junior Tillamaca do in the first half against Louisville, you're going to need Josh Jordan Patel to be a dude. <laughs>